Today we're going to visit Proverbs chapter 3. I've been mentioning to people I'm preaching from Proverbs 3, and it's a lot of people's favorite chapter. Maybe it's your favorite chapter. And it rehearses some of the great truths that we learn in the Bible, and they are mentioned again and again in Scripture. So we have come through these first 10 verses where these five disciplines are highlighted for us. My son, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commandments in your heart. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. And then honor the Lord with your wealth. This is verse 9 and 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth and the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. And so we get to the end of verse 10, and everybody's saying, yes, 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 this is great. This is great. I want to practice these disciplines. I want to have these returns of long life and peace and prosperity and a good name in the sight of God and men. I want these returns, my barns to be filled and the vats to be full. And then verse 11 happens. And I want to read it for you, all right? My son, verse 11, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father the son he delights in. Blessed are those who find wisdom, those who gain understanding, for she is more profitable than silver and yields better returns than gold. She is more precious than rubies. Nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand. In her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are pleasant ways, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who hold, take hold of her. Those who hold her fast will be blessed. Beautiful poetry, beautiful words, wonderful truths. And so, in His wisdom, God lays out for us the five disciplines along with these abundant returns that are in the first ten verses. And then right next to it lays out verse 11 because always there's somebody that gets to the end of verse 10 and has read about the peace and prosperity and long life and good health and full barns and says, that just doesn't describe my life. I've tried to be faithful I've tried to do it as right, and yet I have been through difficult times, I have suffered, I have had trouble, I've had heartache, and I've experienced loss. And this is a reality of life. It just happens. And so, in His wisdom, God lays these two concepts that seem to be contradictory in our mind, that we cannot seem to process. And when we long for understanding and we plead for God with understanding, most often it is about verses 11 and 12, where we feel like the rod has fallen upon us. 
and we cannot understand or get a grip on what's going on. And in His wisdom, God lays these right next to each other, the full barns and His chastisement, His discipline. Now, the word is here, discipline is a big word. It includes both instruction, information for the student, as well as correction, and sometimes chastisement. The second word, though, is the word correction, translated in some versions, and this is about the negative aspect, the rebuke of the Lord. And so we have this reality that sometimes those he loves, he chastens. Even as a father chastens the son that he loves. He loves his son, but he still disciplines him. Graham runs to me always and jumps in my arms whenever he sees me. And I like that. He's three and a half, and it's a great thing that Graham loves me, and he grabs me, and he hugs me, gives me a good hug, and then very often he says, Papa, I want to play with your iPad. (laughs) And he could be about to go to school. He could be needing to have his dinner. But if I tell him, no, Graham, you cannot play with my iPad, Oh, he's just like, it's the worst thing in the world. And he is so disappointed, and he can become just very upset if he cannot play with the iPad. Now, I'm not trying to hurt him. He's got to get ready for school. He needs to eat his dinner. I'm trying to do what's good for him. And yet, he is upset at me. Thus does the Lord, in explaining the discipline that comes into all of our lives, Go to the father metaphor and say God does for his children that he loves, that he delights in, what a father does for his own son. It involves instruction. It involves correction. It involves rebuke. It involves, in fact, pain. Sometimes we hurt. Sometimes we experience pain. And the scripture says here that God chastens those he loves. I know you don't want to be chastened. Nobody does. Nobody wants suffering. Nobody wants to hurt. We don't hurt ourselves. We don't want others to hurt us. And yet, hurt comes. So this is the challenge for this morning that I want you to get your hand on, get your mind around. I want you to think about, okay? Maybe you have been identifying the activity of God in your life purely in all those joys and good things that He's brought you. And these first 10 verses of Proverbs, that's you, man. When you think about the activity of God, you look back on your life and you say, full barns, long life, peace, prosperity, that's what God's done for me. Now, I want you to identify the activity of God in your pain. In your hurt. In your loss. I want you to be able to identify the activity of God when things aren't going well, but instead going badly. Can you?
Some of you already have. You've already said, I know God was at work in my life in that very difficult time that I was in. Some of you have suffered loss. Can you see God at work in the loss that you've suffered? Some of you have suffered divorce. Is God at work in this loss that you've experienced in your divorce? Some of you have lost your job. Can you see God at work in the difficulty of your financial situation? Maybe you have a wayward child or grandchild. Identify the activity of God in your pain. I don't want you to do it in somebody else's pain now. Don't look at your husband and say, well, I know what God's doing in you or your wife or think of your child because we do that sometimes, you know. Somebody we love stumbles and we say, we knew God was going to get them because, no, about, I'm talking about you. This is personal. Not everybody, in fact, very few people would have the standing in your life, the right to come up to you and say, this pain that you are experiencing, that's the activity of God in your life. It's very personal. You can do it, though. You could say today, this is the place, this is the difficulty, this is the hardship where I see God at work. The reason this is very important is because everybody in this room whom God loves, He has chastened. And the Scripture says, if you cannot identify this chastening of the Lord in your life, then you may not be His. Jesus told a, a religious leader, unless you are born again, Nicodemus, you cannot see the kingdom of God. You can't see it. So, it's time now to think about how God has been at work in your pain in the heartache and loss that you have experienced. Can you identify it? Can you say God was at work in this? There is an article this week that had the title, The God Who Took My Wife Away. Some of you probably saw it. It caught my eye, and I read it. The God who took my wife away, I thought, what is this about? It's about a man named Victor and his wife, Susan, who married when she was 24. He was an Episcopal priest. She was diagnosed with a brain tumor when she was 38. They did surgery on her and fought the malignancy and the difficulties that occurred because of surgery and that tumor, and at 57, she died. And Victor says in this article, she was God's gift to me, a beautiful gift to me. God gave her to me, and God took her away. And Victor found in what we've been singing about, in the cross of Christ, the comfort that he needed to endure the loss of his beloved. Because he said, God sent his son, and Jesus descended not only into humanity, but into the greatest kind of suffering that humans endure, 
The scripture says that Jesus our Lord sent up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears unto God. And the scripture records that as he was dying on that wonderful cross that we've been singing about, he flung his head toward heaven in his last breath and said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And this cry of dereliction, it is called, from the cross, expresses the heart of God's perfect Son who bore in His body our chastisement, the Scripture says, bruised for our iniquities. This was the chastisement of God laid upon His perfect One. And the Scripture observes later on that Jesus was perfected as our Savior through His suffering, that He was completed as our Savior through His suffering. God's at work in your pain. God accomplishes things in the difficulties and troubles of life that He can't get done when the barns are full and the vats are overflowing. And these things that He gets done in us when the difficulties of life happen are included in the peace and even the prosperity and the development of character that are the returns we've been reading about. That's why it's so important. In everything, give thanks. This is the will of God concerning you. In everything, trust God. Whatever is not of faith is sin. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do it all to the glory of God. These scriptures are drawing us to the heart of God. And asking us to see all of life in the context of our faith. We get into difficulty and we suppose, having read the first ten verses, that we have either not been faithful to God or He's not being faithful to us. That maybe we didn't measure up and therefore these bad things have come on us or maybe God's just not fulfilling His word unto us. And so we resent the difficulty that has come into our life. This chapter starts with my son, with wisdom grabbing hold of our shoulders and looking us in the eye and saying, listen, my son, do not forget my teachings. Are you hearing this? But keep my commandments in your heart. Are you hearing it? And so wisdom grabs us. God grabs us. He says, listen, love and faithfulness, bind them around your neck. Trust me with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. Honor me with everything you've got, all of your wealth. Are you getting it? And then in verse 11, he grabs us again and says, My son, do not despise the discipline of the Lord. Don't despise it. Do not resent his rebuke. See, God is saying this because he knows it happens. We're just like Graham. We want an iPad, and we want it now. And God says, no, but I really, really, really want it. And God says, no. The answer is no, and we get angry and upset because we feel like we deserve it. 
We ought to get it. The Father is strong enough to provide it. He's got all the riches. Why can't He give me what I want? And we resent the, the sorrow, the trouble, the setback that has come into our life. And we, in the resentment, despise what God is seeking to do in us. Amen. God's in the business of perfecting us. And some of that hurts. It hurt in the life of Jesus, and it hurts in us. And let's just face it, folks. We have examined these Proverbs, and they promise and indicate wonderful things for us. And these things are true. But we serve a Lord who died naked and penniless on a cross. And he said, if they do this in the green tree, what do you think they're going to do in the dry? If they've done this to the master, what do you think they'll do to the students? So he did not guarantee us that we're going to have no suffering and that all our life will be fine and nothing bad will happen. Instead, he said the opposite. If they crucified your Lord, what do you think they'll do to you? And then the trouble comes. And we think we've been abandoned. Even when he felt separated from the Father, Jesus prayed. He prayed unto God, why have you forsaken me? Lord, I'm talking to you. Listen to me now. Identify the activity of God in your pain. Because God's there, working on you, working in you making you the person he's called you to be. There's peace. There is prosperity. There is joy in the middle of these troubles. You think, I'm going to be happy and I'm going to be peaceful after all this storm is over. And then you discover, you know what? Life is pretty much one long storm. And there's just things that happen. So how are we going to live it out? How are we going to stay connected to the Father? We're going to trust him in all these things. We're going to continue to give thanks for this is the will of God concerning him. We're going to continue to bring him glory in the middle of our pain because everything you do, you do for the glory of God. And you seek to make your life bring glory to him even when you are hurting. Don't get trapped by the pain. The way to not get trapped by the pain is to trust God in the middle of it with all your heart. Identify the activity of God and examine your desires. Our relationship to the material world is about desires. We have feelings, we have wants, we have cravings, we have longings. And the scripture says here, Nothing you desire compares with him. Now, what the scripture is talking about here is the desire for God himself. Wisdom, in fact, is applied knowledge conformed to the character of God. And so wisdom is personified in this chapter and other places in the book of Proverbs. And, and she calls us and she wants us to come. And here wisdom is calling us and God is saying, I want you to desire me. That's the first commandment, right? 
No other gods before me. It's the first commandment Jesus identified in the positive. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's the first commandment. You do this, you're going to live. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. David said, like the deer pants for the water brook, so my soul longs for you, O God. The Apostle Paul said that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering and even enter into the fellowship of his pain. Say, desiring God, it's where, it's where he is bringing us. We have these expect expectations and these cravings, and if we're not careful, we put them in the middle of our morality. If we're not careful, we say things like, it just feels so good, it has to be right. We say things like that. And we feel like, Graham, I want this iPad, and I need it, and God ought to be giving it to me every time. And we think that the iPad's going to satisfy us, or whatever it is that we're craving for. We want gold, we want silver, we want power, we want sex, whatever it is. These are desires that are in human beings. And sometimes human beings put these desires, these longings in the middle of their life. And they feel like if I can just get this, then I'll be whole. I'll be full. I'll be satisfied. But the desire is not an ultimate desire. It's one of these lower desires. And while it entices us in and the desire says, look, if you just do this, you're going to feel so good. You're going to be so satisfied. Life's going to be good if you just do this. None of these desires can deliver the returns that God is talking about. What you really want in life, you cannot buy with gold or silver. What you really want in life, you cannot get from these secondary cravings and desires that you seek. So if you put them in the middle of your life, you will die with a hole this big that's empty inside of you. Because you can't get enough of what you long for to really fill up that hole. It won't do it. You'll think you got enough, and then you'll say to yourself, nope, I need more. I got to have more. And you go back, and it takes more and more. It's like any addiction. It takes more and more to get what you used to get from it, and it won't ever fill you up. And so the Scripture says, there is a desire that you can have in your heart that will provide what you seek and none of your other desires compares to it. And it is the desire to know and love and serve God placed at the center of your life. And what this desire delivers is fullness of purpose placing you in God's plan and in his creation, connecting you to the God who made you and loves you, fulfilling the original reason for which you were put on the planet. This, Jesus says, is abundance. 
This is life like it's supposed to be. This is life like an artesian well in your soul. And nothing you desire, no pursuit that you place in this center beside this can deliver. Only this one delivers. So, desiring God is at the heart of who we are. And it is at the heart of how we make decisions and how we decide what is right and wrong. We don't put in the middle what I feel like or what gives me pleasure. We put in the middle the God who made me and calls me to himself. And so wisdom is applied knowledge that conforms to the character of God. Now, brothers and sisters, it's not me who originated this thought. It is the wisdom of God that says, do this and you will live. You'll really live. You'll live like you're supposed to. You'll live like God intended you. You'll live like you hope to, really, down deep inside. Seek ye first, Jesus said, the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these other things, they'll be added unto you. But this, you must do first. How do you get on this road? How do you start this journey? You start it by trusting in the Christ who loves you and gave himself for you. That's the beginning of this journey. It's not really a philosophical journey. It's a journey in relationship. God made you for himself, and so he's calling you unto himself. And he wants to fill this longing of your heart with himself. And so we say unto God, God, I've pursued other things, and I've gone other ways, and now I am turning to you. Please forgive me for all this stuff I did that was against you and foreign to you. And I... I trust in you and you alone, and I receive Christ Jesus as my Savior. I believe he died on the cross for my sin. His, the chastisement he endured was for me, and that by his stripes I am healed. I urge you, receive Christ today. And brother, sister, if you are resenting the discipline of the Lord, if you are impatient with his rebuke. I urge you to identify God's activity in your life, in your pain. And once you know that God is active in the trouble that you're in, you will be greatly comforted. There's nothing that makes the heart fuller and gives us more security and faith in the moment than to know that God is at work in my trouble. I've not been deserted. He's not gone. He hears my prayer. He knows my need. And he is with me in this journey that I'm on, even though it's hard. I thought about what does God want to do today with this message? And I think it is this, that he might correct the desire, the longing that has taken first place in our life and fill that spot with himself and so fill our lives with his purpose. 
Bow with me, please. If you've never trusted Jesus as Savior, this would be a wonderful moment to say, Lord, I've been pursuing other things and they haven't satisfied me. I pray that you will forgive me for my sin and I trust in you as my Savior. believe Jesus died on the cross for me. Would you receive Christ as Lord even in this moment? And if you have been struggling with difficulty and hardship and you feel a resentment in your heart about it, would you look for God's activity and seek to bring Him glory? God, I pray for the person whose journey is hardest, that, Lord, you will give them comfort and strength in this path that they're on. And, God, that they will see your hand in all kind of ways. Lord, I think about so many people who have suffered and are dealing with illness. And, Father, I pray that you will help us know you and find you and see you and hear you on this path of trouble that all of us walk some and some of us walk a lot. God, I pray for those who have never trusted you as Savior and have tried to fill their life with other things. But, God, I pray that you would draw them to yourself. And in this moment, by your Spirit, do your work. God, we're listening. We want to hear. We want to know you. God, we pray that you will meet us in this moment of decision. In Jesus' name, amen.